This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tank Girl, Miriam Joire. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joire, and today is Monday, October 2nd, 2017. My guest is Sasha Segan of PCMag. Hi, Sasha. How are you? Hi, I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you for coming. I know it's a busy week for a lot of people. Are you traveling to San Francisco for the event on Wednesday? Yes, I am going to be at the Google event on Wednesday morning, and I am looking forward to, it sounds like it's going to be a lot of products. Yeah, me, me too. I'll be there. So I'm looking forward to seeing you in person. It's been a while. I think the last time was Mobile Congress. It's funny, we do definitely see each other at Mobile Congress. And then the random occasional event like that Qualcomm Snapdragon event uh, last fall, whenever that was, I can't remember. Yeah, I just haven't been I haven't been traveling to events a lot recently. I've had a lot of big features and kind of exclusives that I've been working on instead. So we have a big enough staff here that we can send different people to different things. But you're excited about the Google thing, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this it's is a not, good one, right? Yeah, I mean, it's not just about the pixels is the thing. Right. It's this entire Google hardware line and how that's going to respond to Amazon and how it's going to respond to Microsoft and to Apple. And like there's there's all of these players that Google is going to be uh, essentially speaking to with this big event. Yeah, no, I agree. This is why I'm excited. Obviously, you know, I get invited to these things primarily because I, I have a weekly podcast now that I talk about phones a lot on the podcast and but I know that I'm like you very much interested in how this plays as an ecosystem play in addition to the devices because you know you know a bunch of news items we saw this week Amazon launched a whole bunch of new Echo products uh seems a little chaotic to me this lineup but uh you know what's your take on that real quick uh, Amazon just wants to make sure that it maintains its dominance in this home assistant space. And what it did is, I don't really consider it to be chaotic. I consider it to be filling in the lineup to make sure that everywhere from basically $50 to $250, there is an Amazon home assistant that you want. And the one space they leave open is the high end. And I find this strategic from their point uh, to uh, basically crush Google and Microsoft, but leave some room open for Sonos and Apple and uh, the more high end, more luxury brands. I think that's a very interesting take. And I agree with you. I think that uh, what I meant by chaotic really here is that they just like, you know, if you don't do what we do, which is analyze what happened, it seems like just a random assortment of things. It isn't, right? Obviously. And and you're right. There's something there for everyone. Um, I'm just a little surprised that they, the the new Echo with the Zigbee built in, the Echo Plus or whatever it's called, it has is the same form factor as the old Echo. Like that seems a little odd if I were them since they made a new Echo, regular Echo that I think is lovely compared to the original. Uh, I would have liked them to do a new design on this uh, Plus model. Um, and then, of course, you know, I have Echo Dots. That's what I buy. And I think you're right. There's a strategy here where, where Amazon's always been very strong, which is kind of pretty much give away the hardware for free and, you know, leverage the the income from the service, right, mm-hmm. from from the sales of, of, of product. I really only use my, my Dots for controlling home appliances like um, IoT devices. But I don't really use them for like, you know, queries or because I use a Google Assistant for that. Uh, So I'm feeling like I'm splitting myself up into two worlds. And I'm really hoping, honestly, with with the uh, Google announcement that they're going to make a cheap 
device that I can still use for home automation, but that is that speaks Google Assistant because that's when I'm interested to be in ecosystem wise. And there's a there's a very strong rumor out there, and there have been photos of something called a Google Home Mini, which is right. forty nine dollars and looks like a little fabric covered egg. And uh, is that Google response to the Echo Dot? Uh, the the question that I have for Google that I'm going to have to see them respond to on the stage is to make sure that they have the smart home partners to match Amazon because that's where they've been behind. And you're right. And that's why I'm using a Neko Dot in both my homes to control um, my, my appliances because most of them actually have Zigbee. Um, I have an Almond uh, Plus router on uh, both places that has built-in ZigBee and Z-Wave. And, uh, you know, it, it works with Alexa really well. And so I can tell to turn off lights. And, and that's really most of what I do is turning on and off lights and outlets that I have various things plugged into. Uh, and I would love to see Google do that properly because then I could actually have one single device or, or AI, as it were, assistant to, to talk to because I do use Google Assistant a lot on my phones. And I wish I could kind of integrate the two. Yeah, it's interesting. So we'll it's see. It's interesting to me how Google Assistant has not played as well with others as Alexa has, especially when you think of when you think of Google, you think the open ecosystem, right? Yeah, indeed. Well, I think that's changing, and I think let's talk about that because I think that this Pixel event, you know, is in, in last year's in a way headed in that direction of Google wanting to be more vertically integrated and kind of controlling their ecosystem more. So what are we expecting? Let, let's start from the top. Two phones, I think, the a, a, maybe a, a, a Google Home Mini, as you said, and mm-hmm. then def, like there's rumors of a Pixel laptop or Pixel Book two in one. Yeah, fancy Chromebook. I'm a fancy Chromebook, basically. Correct. So let. What do you know of them? I mean, there are rumors, but they're pretty solid rumors right now, right? Yeah, I mean, Evan Blass is Evan Blass just about uh, ten minutes ago blasted out some uh, some more photos of the Pixel Two and Pixel Two XL. I saw, yeah, yeah, and I feel like when Evan's doing that, the game is pretty much up. It's done, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what we're looking at are two phones, two sizes, but unlike last year, they're not two different. You know, not not one scaled version of the other. They're, uh, you know, the smaller one, the Pixel 2, is basically made by HTC and has is an evolution of the design from last year with lots of bezels top and bottom. Um, we're hearing that it's losing the headphone jack and getting stereo front-facing speakers. Mm-hmm. Um, there is rumors of OIS on the camera. Mm-hmm. And then the bigger one is made by LG and has all of that, uh, mm-hmm. including the loss of headphone jack, but it has... Uh, a uh, kind of full screen, full front, almost full front display, uh, which probably a variation on the V30, which is a really lovely phone. Yeah, I, th- um, I think it's based on the V30 chassis. But one of the things that I found interesting is that they're not doing the dual cameras. Yeah, no, they're not. And they're removing the headphone jack, which as we know on the V30 with that quad DAC, mm-hmm. for those of us who care and are audiophiles and really, really love using a variety of wired 3.5 millimeter devices, this is a big loss. I use the Pixel headphone jack on my Pixel in my car all the time. I have an older car. I just have auxiliary. I'm very happy with it. Mm-hmm. It's a really great sounding system in my, and it's my little Porsche convertible. And I don't really care about changing my head unit and getting Bluetooth and all that. I just want a 3.5 millimeter headphone jack. So I guess I'm going to have to use an adapter. And that's unfortunate, but I guess it'll, it'll have to do. Um, 
It'll be interesting. I think I think the V for me is going to be the Pixel 2 XL, the bigger one that I want because I cannot anymore live with a phone that's just it doesn't have this super widescreen aspect ratio. Once I switched over to that with the G6 and then the Samsungs, uh, including the, most recently the Note 8 and now the V30, I really I'm jonesing for that from from Google. Yeah. How do you feel about it? I mean, as you know, I love the tall, narrow phones because for years I've been ranting about how phones should be narrower so they can be more easily used in one hand. Uh, Because for people with a range of hand sizes, I feel like there was a point at which uh, the phones essentially got too wide, which in my mind is wider than about 2.8, 2.9 inches to be used in one Uh hand. And so now we're seeing the phones get stretched so that you have that screen real estate, but you can also comfortably reach across the screen with a range of thumb sizes. And that's one of the one of the reasons I so love the Galaxy S8, which is my phone of the year right now. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the, the size of that phone for the screen real estate is kind of almost a perfect match, mm-hmm. right? And And I mean, I'm personally prefer the bigger ones because I'm used to a bigger phone in my hand anyway. And so mm-hmm. I'm willing to even get more screen real estate, but I totally say for, I think most people, the galaxy S eight regular S eight is kind of the perfect storm of size versus like physical size versus screen size. And so it's too bad that the small pixel is not going to get that. Well, uh, and then what's really interesting me about the Pixel rumors is some of the crazier rumors that are out there that are not the ones that are a little crazy but can't totally be discounted. For instance, um, we've been hearing that the small one is going to have HTC Edge Sense, which is not crazy. But then you see rumors that the large one will also have Edge Sense, and that's kind of crazy. Of them will. You don't I really think either don't of think, them will. No, I think HTC wants to keep that for themselves. And and I don't see Google caring too much. Honestly, you know, double click the power button for the camera has worked mm-hmm. really well on the Pixel for months now. And it's one of the fastest implementation of an instant on camera on any device. It's faster than even the Galaxy S8. So I think, you know, uh, I don't see why we'd need anything else. Uh, maybe a long press of the power button. Uh, instead of you know offering the power shutdown options, uh, can just bring up uh, assistant or something. Well, I'm I'm actually um, pretty sure that Edge Sense is one of the things that Google just bought from HTC. You think so, huh? Yeah, because uh, when they when they spent uh, that 1.1 billion dollars to perplexingly buy a thousand HTC employees uh, at the rate of you know what is that a million dollars per employee yeah. or something. Um, one of the things that was part of that agreement was a non-exclusive license to HTC software technologies. And that tells me that um, things like EdgeSense are something that Google felt no, some No, but value that might in. not happen to next year at this point. I mean, maybe these phones yeah. were committed a while ago. And you're right. I, I'm more likely to believe that we'll see it on the regular Pixel 2. Uh, and not on mm-hmm. the Pixel 2 XL, simply because who, who manufactured them. And, you know, I had this discussion last week with Matt Swider of TechRadar um, about the whole Google HTC acquisition thing. And and really, it's it's kind of baffling to me from a PR perspective that they would announce this partnership a week before or 10 days, whatever it was, before this Pixel event where the, the flagship Pixel, the, the Pixel 2 XL, will be made by LG. And and might not right. have the squeeze feature. It's weird to me. I right. would have waited till after that to do that announcement. I don't know. 
I mean, I'm excited about it. I don't know. I would have waited till January. Get 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 out of the whole release cycle entirely. Exactly. And and honestly, you know, look, I love HTC. I think the U11 was a good phone this year, uh, but I feel like if I the best pixels and well, not pixels. There's never been one, but the best Nexuses for me have been other than the Huawei 6P have been the five mm-hmm. really, and the, you know, and before that the four, and they were made by LG. And and part of it was because they weren't that well made, but they were made at a price point, and that's probably why they weren't that well made. But overall, they 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 brought us a really compelling package, especially the five. I mean, you look at the five today. If you pull out your old five, if you have one, and the, it's so bezel-less compared to you know, like it's a, compared <laughs> to the Pixel last year. It's amazing, and and it's uh, it was a delightful device at its time. It it did everything right. It was fast. It was I don't know. I th- I really liked that phone, and and so I'm really excited about the Pixel Two XL being made by LG for some reason. Yet next year, what are we gonna get? Like HTC needs to go full you know, full screen, like, you know, full widescreen, skinny, tall, like the others. And yep. we haven't seen any sign of that happening. I hope that they can strike a deal with either Samsung LG for those displays, because you know, that's the problem, right? HTC doesn't have the best displays because they don't have the quantities. Well, the question is, the question is when, and I was discussing this with some LG execs, maybe six months ago, when the new OLED fabs come online, because the, 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 the crisis in the industry right now is that there is a severe shortage of OLED fabrication plants and that they're all run by either Samsung or LG. And there is essentially a line out the door of people who want OLEDs. And about six months ago, I think the LG folks were saying it was going to be another even 18 months before the new fabs come online. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if you've heard more details about this, but it's going to be a choke point until those factories get up and running. Yeah, especially with Apple launching the iPhone 10 that mm-hmm. has an OLED display manufactured by Samsung. So I've, uh, I've heard Apple is paying Samsung a hilarious well, premium for are. those displays. Of course they are. And, and yeah. they have to. I mean, Samsung would be stupid not to work out a deal like that. But look, you're right. There's going to be a shortage. And so, and so to me, I'm just, look, I'm just saying that we know what, roughly what to expect on Wednesday, but the future, combined with this announcement of HTC last last week, um, you know, I have no doubt we'll see a full full size, you know, full height display. But it's still mm-hmm. going to be pretty tight in terms of production. Like I know Google's goals here are, are to you know become a, a relatively big player in in the smartphone game with a Pixel line. And are they though? Well, maybe. I mean, that's I, I maybe I'm wrong, but that's the feeling I always got from them from since last year. They haven't achieved that in any way, shape, or form. I've seen so few pixels in the wild, but I do see them, and it's interesting that I don't see them necessarily with tech people. See, so, Google Google still has Google still has the 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 circle it can't square of being uh, the provider of Android for all of these other manufacturers. And they right. still need to make sure that the other manufacturers who are using Android don't feel threatened enough to do an Amazon. And so yeah. if Google becomes too much of a hardware powerhouse, too much of a threat, I don't think we're going to see you know, a Samsung go full Tizen. But if you look at Amazon as a model, they've taken the AOSP platform 
and they've snapped away all the Google services. And they've said, use our services instead. And when I've talked to Samsung people recently, they have been very high on Samsung as a services platform. And now they're the only ones who are, you know, none of the rest of us take Samsung services overwhelmingly seriously. But you can see a world where if Samsung feels too threatened by Google, you know, there goes Chrome, it's the Samsung browser, there goes Google Assistant, it's Bixby, there goes, you know, Google Search, it's some kind of arrangement with Bing. But I'm sorry to tell you that wouldn't fly because a lot of people in the West use Google services and they want them and they don't want them on Tizen. Well, what I'm saying and not and Google won't let them happen on Tizen like they don't let them happen on Chinese phones. No, no, I'm saying it would be a I'm saying it would be a a uh, a version of AOSP. Yeah, but that doesn't work for Amazon. I don't nobody buys Amazon tablets. Tons I mean, of people buy the, Amazon tablets. Amazon you know, but tablets are not, not to do not popular. to do not to do anything but watch videos. Yes, yes, and read books. They don't do their email on those. Like you know what I'm saying? Like I have an Amazon tablet. Of course I do because mm. they're super cheap. They're like a commodity. Right. I can throw it out the right. window and don't not care. But would it be a, my main Android device ever? No. And look at what, what debacle it was when they tried to make a phone. You know there are many reasons why that phone was a debacle, mm-hmm. but in big part to me was because. You know, consumers in the U.S., the people who go to Verizon AT&T stores to buy a phone and don't want to buy an iPhone for whatever reason or don't have the budget or want something mid-range, they saw that phone and they said, I can't do my Google stuff on it. Forget it. No, you make I a can really... guarantee you that's a huge part of it. You make a really good point, but I don't think that – I still don't think that Google wants to force Samsung into making that decision. I don't think Google wants to see what would happen if Samsung considers them an enemy. And for Samsung not to consider them an enemy, they need to mysteriously not sell more than a certain number of pixels. I agree. But I also do agree that, look, Samsung and Google depend on each other hugely for the Western market. Absolutely do. Like Samsung makes the best hardware by far, right? Yes. Like absolutely nails it. And and their software isn't that bad. Like I'm not talking about their services. I'm talking about their their you know, slightly customized version of Android, it's getting better. This year is the first Android phone. When I reviewed it for ChipChick, the S8 and S8 mm-hmm. Plus, I, I wrote that. I said I didn't feel like throwing it against the wall in the first hour I used it because I could actually feel like I could live with the launcher. Mm-hmm. And and I wasn't angry at the phone. It, it didn't mm-hmm. piss me off to the point where I was like, ah, oh, Google Play now, uh, no, so Google now launcher, right? Mm-hmm. Right away. I did it eventually just because uh, habit. But but it was a good experience. It's a good experience even without the Samsung apps, which is like awesome. And and that tells me that Google needs uh, uh, Samsung as much as Samsung needs Google at this point mm-hmm. because Google makes the best Android, obviously. They make right. Android. Yeah. And then Samsung's devices only shine because they have Android. Because remember, all the hardware in the world does not make a good phone. Because look, Apple for the longest time was behind everyone. I'm sorry to say, but they were. Until the iPhone 10, there wasn't a compelling iPhone, technologically speaking, since the 5S, where they finally introduced a fingerprint reader that worked, where nobody else was able to do it until then. And before that, the 4 with Retina, and the fact that it had a really, really gorgeous industrial design. And it brought this idea of jewelry-like phones, mm-hmm. right? which we now take for granted that even mid-range phones are jewelry-like now. And so my point is that Apple never succeeded because they had the best hardware. Well, maybe a couple of times they had the best hardware. So it's nice to see them come in with the iPhone X that's really competitive in terms of hardware. But at the same time, Samsung can throw all the best hardware in the world out there. If they don't have Google, 
to pin that down into a user experience that's half decent, they're screwed. So Samsung needs Google, Google needs Samsung. And the result, I think, is going to be that Google produces compelling pixels and once again does not market them quite as hard as they could. I agree, but I think that they say that they want to. Like, see what I'm saying? Like, uh-huh. I think the words at Google don't match the actions. The words they, are, yeah, we they want say the that- pixels to be successful, blah, blah, blah. But then the action is, ah, we're not making enough. We're not selling enough. We're not marketing enough. Exactly, exactly. And they're going to be like, do you think that they're going to do the uh, exclusive carrier sales partnership with Verizon again? Yeah. Yeah, because that is a great way. That that is a great way to make sure you sell some phones, but not too many. I mean, it's not Sprint, in which case you would sell no phones, but it's Verizon. So you'll sell some phones, but you're not going to threaten the the Galaxy S8 landscape. No, for sure. And you know what? That's fair. And honestly, I can live with that because, as you said, the S8 is a phenomenal phone, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's probably the best phone for most people that want an Android phone today. And and that's the thing, you know, the and I brought that up with Matt last week. It's like there's a lot of big open questions with this HTC Google thing because it, you know, do you reasonably see whatever is left of HTC making another phone? Like they're barely succeeding when I make a good phone like the HTC 10 or the U11 as I, selling almost any. Are they going to continue making their own phones or are they I, just going to throw it, throw the cap? And go, forget it, we're done. They say they're going to keep making their own phones. Yeah, of course they do, because they would be suicidal not to. But I really see HTC's future in being a... Uh, in being a design and manufacturing house for these Absolutely. other brands that want to enter yep. consumer electronics, things like Valve with the Vive, like Under Armour with the health stuff, they need uh-huh. to match up with various other brands and uh, produce brilliant products for those brands that aren't necessarily phones. It's kind of like, I, I, this just popped into my head, it's kind of like what Bullet Group is doing in phones, but uh, better and for everything else. Correct. And you know what? I agree with you. And I think that's why I'm worried they're not gonna, we're never going to see another HTC flagship again. I think it's possible. I mean, the U11 was almost certainly the most underrated, unnoticed phone of the year. Absolutely. It and was, it's one of the best. Yeah, it was gorgeous. It was uh, it, it was gorgeous. It was well implemented after they shook some of the initial software bugs out. It worked fine, but it was basically impossible to find in the United States. Like and it was technically being sold in the United States. We're not talking about a Huawei here. OK, it was technically being sold here and yet nobody was selling it. But I think it's the same as essential, right? Sprint was the main carrier with it. Right, and that means instantly zero market share. Yeah, yeah. No, you're you're. I mean, you're right about that. Like every time I see a phone being an exclusive on Sprint, I I just cringe. I know, and you think all the way back to Palm, you know? Right. Well, that was the big. I mean, what I wouldn't even say that was the beginning. I think that that was the one that the example that really gelled that Sprint was a mess, and they still have been a mess since then. Which will bring us to another topic later, which is T-Mobile and Sprint. Yeah. Sitting on a tree in a tree. But the, the 
that that's that scares me to death as a T-Mobile customer, and I know you're you're also against the idea. But let, let's talk about that some more later. What I want to get back to is quickly: if you had to, first of all, are you using a Pixel as all as a daily driver, or are you more like you know you change phones all the time, you never keep one long enough? Like, what's your what's your take on that? I mean, my primary phone uh, over the past several months has been Nest Eight. Um, I swapped okay. out for various iPhones over the past two months or so because I tend to go through an iPhone season of the year when there are new iPhones. Of course. <laughs> and uh, I have I have just in the past couple of days reset back from uh, the iPhone 8 to the Galaxy S8. Okay, and but you did you use a Pixel for any length of time? No, no, I'm not a big uh, I'm not a big Pixel person. So you you reviewed it, but you didn't you didn't make it your yeah, primary yeah. phone. So you see, I make the Nexus and the Pixel my primary phone every year. Somehow, I feel like I want Google's pure Android experience, mm-hmm. and I'm nah, I'm rarely disappointed to be honest with you. Um, and so I have the XL because I like more screen real estate. For me, the the two XL. If I get one, when I get one, will be obviously my daily driver from from the next year, probably, Mm -hmm. despite the lack of headphone jack, which I will rent about, I'm sure, many times. Um, But uh, I, you know, so that's why I'm kind of really invested in this event coming up on Wednesday. And, And I'm a Chromebook user, too. So. I want to be very clear about this. I primarily use a Mac um, and I do have some PCs. I just got a, a Windows uh, 10 laptop, the uh, the Surface laptop from, from Microsoft to review. And I have to say, this is the first, and I've used quite a few Windows 10 PCs recently. I've had some Asus review units, some Dell ones. They've all been very good. The Windows 10 PCs in the last year or two that I've reviewed have been really solid, most of them. Um, good exp- good user experience out of the box. Absolutely. Kudos to Microsoft and those OEMs. But I have to say there's always been some niggles like my Dell Inspiron 13 2-in-1 review unit wouldn't uh, wouldn't go to sleep properly mm-hmm. or it would, but then it wouldn't wake up properly. And, and the trackpad needed some, it was good, but, but certainly better than many other Windows laptops, but it was not perfectly as good as a Chromebook or a Mac felt to me. But the Surface laptop is the first computer that I unboxed set up and felt like I was using a fully integrated solution from top to bottom, like an, like a Mac product. It is absolutely phenomenal. And the last time I did a surface was the surface three pro that I own. And that didn't feel quite as polished. There was a lot of issues. See, I'm crazy. Little driver problems. I am, and stuff. I am crazy about my surface book. I am talking to you right now on my surface book. And yes, it's an expensive high end product, but I can do that. And, um, the keyboard is delightful. Uh, the uh, screen is gorgeous. The ports are adequate. Um, performance is good. And I actually use the detachable top half tablet pen thing to take notes with. Oh, very good. I, I would never need that, but but I appreciate that you do. All I'm pointing out to you is that I felt like a revolution came out of 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 Redmond with the Surface Laptop for me. Just this finally having this year, this works. generation with the Surface Book and the Surface Laptop, I think that they are they are just absolutely spot on. I was like, I can. I I think I can put my MacBook aside for a while and be fine with this. Perfectly like it is right now. It's it's perfect. It's fine. It's good. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are some niggles. I'm a USB-C person. I live in a USB-C world mm-hmm. because of my MacBooks and my Android phones. And so no USB ports of any, uh, C, sorry, ports mm-hmm. of any kind on this laptop is kind of mind-boggling to me. And 
kind of, I don't get it, but I hope they turn around on that. Uh, it's weird that Microsoft as such a big company isn't, isn't going with, um, USB-C all, all out right now. Uh, but it'll happen. I'm sure it's only a matter of time. Um, so that's, that's you know, as an aside, this mm-hmm. review that I got, I'm really enjoying it. I have to say, it's like, wow, really, really well done, Microsoft. Like, there is something to be said about this highly tight integration of hardware and software. Now, actually, and, you know, and that's why I use a Pixel every year, because it really feels so polished. So when when we talk about, when we talk about the Pixels and when we talk about, you know, O is... Google going to, you know, is Google going to take over? Is Google going to become the Apple and kill Samsung and LG and all the OEMs and everyone's so afraid of that? (laughs) Why? That's not happening. No, no. But I'm going to say, why is that phrased in that way when no one is worried about Microsoft's excellent laptops killing HP and Lenovo and Dell? Why is everyone, you know, why, why does the phone world always talk in this sort of this has to kill that way where oh, in the laptop world uh it seems like a lot of different uh oem players can really coexist i think it's because the there there is it's arguable that there is not quite the same kind of inflection point in the in the laptop world in the last 20 years that there has been with the iphone in the last 20 years in the mobile world, right? The the iPhone really is an inflection point. It's really the transition. And since then, everybody's been pulling, trying to pursue that holy grail of killing the iPhone. Mm. I mean, at least that's the story that's being weaved by us journalists and the public. Um, I'm not weaving that story myself, but I think that it's, I wouldn't be lying to say that it's somewhat true. And so it's it's kind of BS. But look, the, the reality is this. I think to me, if I look at, you know, the reason Pixel is not killing, you know, uh, uh, Samsung and LG and HTC and all these others, and the same reason that Surface is not killing HP and Dell and, and Asus is because you can buy a pretty damn decent Dell XPS 13 for less than, you know, 800 bucks, I believe. Mm-hmm. Whereas you cannot buy a Surface an equivalent surface laptop for less than 1100 bucks. Mm-hmm. So it's a different price point, right? Like the the Pixel is also in like you can get a OnePlus 5, which is a very great phone for the money. And you know, you don't have that, you know, in the Apple world. Apple is is there there's no licensing, so you're not going to get that. Now that said, one of the things I think is really interesting this year with Apple is I was looking at their lineup and the 8 and 8 plus being so incremental at least in user experience um I feel like the A11 processor is transformational but nothing is, oh, it is take, absolutely. nothing's taking advantage of it yet nothing's going to take advantage of it for a year um but uh the fact that the iPhone 7 is now 549 is a great buy Is it that cheap? Yeah, I thought that was a success. No, they knocked the seven down to five forty nine, and I think that is a wow. that is an amazing sweet spot for an iPhone right now. It is pretty good. Yeah, you get a lot of hardware for your money. Exactly. Um, but I think, look, what I'm trying to get to is that e- e- Pixel and Surface don't play to the low end. Any, um, well, Nexus used to, but it doesn't anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pixel doesn't anymore. 
and they are certainly trying to be perceived as a as a premium brand, just like Galaxy S and Galaxy Note are. But there's lots of cheap Galaxies. Remember that we never review them, but they exist. Oh, we review um, them. Well, you do, but I'm saying, you know, those of us who don't have the resources of PC Mag don't really have a chance to review them because we just don't have the manpower to do it. And also, frankly, down at the low end, since we review a lot of low end phones, down at the low end, the best is not always a Samsung. Um, we've I mean, been Moto E4 is the best low end phone or low end to me anyway that I've used. In we the have last been year. finding absolutely we like the Moto E4, we like the Moto G5, and in certain niches, um, we like those big ZTE phablets on Cricket. Yeah, they're good, huh? Yeah, I I agree. Like I every now and then ask for low end or mid mid lower mid end review unit from one of these pre uh, prepaid carriers. The most recent one was I got was like a an LG uh, X Force or something. Like it was about a year ago, I guess now. Maybe the X Power, uh, the one with the really like big battery. X Power or something. Yeah, X Power. Yeah, that's uh, that thing was. I mean, I was like. I think I could live with this. I mean, it's not going to like, you know, make me jump up and down with joy, but I'm not frustrated using it. It's perfectly serviceable. Yeah. I do have to say, though, that the E4 struck a chord because it felt like, you know, such it's so close to a pixel experience that that, that very light moto skin. I was like, I can't believe that this is $80 on Verizon. Yeah, those low end And I'm getting are so 90% clean. of what I'm getting on a pixel here, 90% in everyday use. Yeah, they are they are so so clean. I love those low end Motorola's. The only real downside with them is the cameras. Of course, you're not going to get the level of performance, right? But you know what? If you think about it, the camera on the E4, is probably the same as your Galaxy camera was on the on the S5, and that's you know, I mean, it's probably it's it's serviceable. If you know what you're doing, like you and I, you mm-hmm. can use it to make decent photos. It's not going to be. And it's not like the pixel where all, every photo you take is just like, wow, okay? I mean, we're spoiled. Like in the last two years, camera imaging on phones has just really taken a huge step forward, right? It was really funny to to try to compare and to compare the iPhone 7 and the iPhone 8 because we were looking at the two generations and it's just a case of we're kind of plateauing, um, at least in decent light. The images are getting to be about as good as they're going to get. Yeah, and that's and I think low light is where the battle is. Yeah. Uh, the software improvement, like the 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 computational photography, uh, HDR plus or whatever Google calls it, and like HDR has become so good on phones in the last two years. Mm-hmm. Um, the ability to, you know, extract more dynamic range out of sensors through, you know, computational photography has been tremendous. And I think, you know, what Apple's doing with portrait mode is still imperfect, but it's still only leading the way as to where we're going with this. And, you know, this, this uh, what we're seeing with Face ID, this, this you know, basically connect, miniaturizing connect, sticking it in your phone. And we'll eventually see that in rear cameras because Qualcomm's already announced that they have support for that in their future ISPs. Yep. We're going to see that coming and it's going to change the way we take photos radically because all focus is instantaneous on these things right this you're is... tapping on the screen and it knows exactly the depth of what you're tapping on because it can see the dots and then it sets the focus right there instantaneously you now f- basically the only delay is and it's microseconds at this point is the lens moving with the little coil and it's so fast these days 
Yeah, one of the, I mean, one of the reasons that I am, I, I've been telling people I'm very excited for basically the iPhone 9 and 11 much more than the iPhone 8 and 10 um, is the possibility of them going to this Qualcomm Spectra-like arrangement where they get that dot projector that's currently on the front of the iPhone 10 and they put it on the back and then they are doing this live 3D imaging of everything and the photos get better and the augmented reality experience just goes through the roof. Yeah, and you know, so I think that's true. I think we're going to see a bunch of phones next year with up to three sensors in the back. Like, And I'm not talking about, you, you know, one sensor could be this entire infrared projection array thing, connect type thing that mm -hmm. we saw on the iPhone. Um, and then, you know, they could still be like a telephoto or a wide angle or a monochrome and a main camera, or even a monochrome and a telephoto and a main camera and the array. I mean, it could get really interesting. And all the, you know, those new processors are going to support that. And I think, um, I think it's going to be interesting. And I think it's also going to be interesting to see what the competing ISPs and competing chipsets are going to do. Specifically, I'm thinking right now of the week after next. Uh, well, no, the next week, since we're now the week of the Pixel. So the week after, the weekend after, we're, I think it's the 16th. We're going to find out about the Mate 10. And there's a bunch of rumors about that. They have this new processor, the Kirin 960 in there that has like a bunch of, you know, dedicated co-processors for AI and neural nets and, and pattern matching and all that stuff, right? So they could potentially use that for some camera wizardry as well. Yeah, the... um. I mean, Apple has put that neural net uh, processor into the A11, of course, and they're saying that it is largely for uh, augmented reality, uh, for, uh, but also for scene recognition, and it'll improve camera performance through better scene recognition and basically the, the, the phone understanding what it's looking at and being able to tune the camera settings to the type of object you're looking at. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, AR is going to benefit, but lots of other things are going to benefit. Right now, there's a lot of stuff when when you're doing image searches and pattern matching on these images, you know, like a lot of this happens in the cloud right now. You know, you, you're asking Google and Google Photos, find me all the pictures in which that I took in the last month that have dogs in them. And it'll do, it does that, but that's already categorized in the cloud. Imagine your phone being able to do this offline, right? Apple, and, you know, says, this is, Apple says that's what they're going to do. Apple says that well, and they, a lot well, they of the have stuff- they have to. Yeah, a lot of the stuff because that Google does in the cloud- Because Face ID needs to be secure. Sure. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, can't send data to the cloud. It needs to all stay in the enclave. So that's how they use this processor for, for all this kind of neural net pattern matching stuff. So what do you think Huawei's going to use it for? Uh, I think right now it's going to be, you know, because it's Huawei, a lot of talk and very little action. We're going to see mm -hmm. a lot of marketing around it. Uh, but I think they might use it for photography, they, but I think mostly what they're going to do it, with it is, you know, I'd say obviously AR, uh, because, you know, AR uh, core is going to be a thing this past year. They're, they're just preparing. They're just they're just putting this stuff in there, like you said, with the A, the A11 Bionic, weird, weird name, but with the A11, it's for the future. And But they're going to market it somehow by saying the phone is, you know, they, right now they're using some sort of machine learning on their existing phones for garbage collection, for cleaning up the and organizing the storage data, right? So that it's it doesn't have these one of the common problems of Android is that as you're if you don't do a factory reset of your phone every you know year or so, your phone starts to slow down in accessing data because things get fragmented and, and scattered. I don't know the technical details. I'm sure some of you here will know what I'm talking about, but this is a known thing and it's and 
Google has worked hard to reduce that over the years, but so far Huawei is one of the few like third-party manufacturers to to go on and create some sort of software that runs on their phones to take care of that stuff. And so I can see them using it for that, making things even faster there. Uh, you know, pattern recognition and photos in real time. You know, what if you can say, focus on this log and stay focused on the log as I move the phone around? Do you remember, do you remember the Honor Magic? Oh, yeah. The bezel-less phone we never saw in the U.S. I remember. Yeah. But specifically, the services component of the Honor Magic was, and this, of course, was a Huawei phone because Honor is Huawei. um, Correct. But they had this services component in China where it was basically uh, spying on everything you did all the time and then through some kind of AI technology starting to try to adapt and suggest activities and things to do and to anticipate your needs before you need them. Well, like Google Assistant tries to do, like HTC claims to do with their assistant. Right. Right. Uh, Yeah, of course. I'm sure that's going to be a part of it. But my point is that's the marketing gimmick you're talking about here. Because that's going to take so little power on that phone in terms of, of, you know, machine learning, honestly. Mm. What is really going to be machine, like really helpful for, for with neural network embedded hardware is is pattern matching and recognition and images and sounds so being able to hear something and distinguish it clearly and figure out what's happening like being able to hold your phone like you do is uh you know to recognize a song but instead it'll be able to tell you oh you're in hong kong and you're actually close to uh the ferry terminal in kowloon that actually makes me think of one of the uh one of the funny not entirely reliable pixel rumors i've been hearing which is that uh, it'll come with a sort of background Shazam functionality. Have you heard this one? Yeah, and and that's perfect. You know what? There, this is happening. How do you think your phone right now re- re- responds to OK Google in your pocket? Or or how Alexa responds to... There she goes. She's going to chime up. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, how, how does all that work? How does, you know, hey, there you go. Did you hear my phone just now? Uh, how does that work when you say hello Siri on you? I, that's always the mic is always on. It's always listening. But right, now imagine right. that you can optimize that to listen and recognize not just your voice, but actually like, oh, you are in this location. But the thing is, so the thing that concerns me about that and background Shazam is that uh, I mean, it's scary. The, it's creepy. A, it's it's <laughs> creepy. It's super creepy. The privacy implications are huge. But Google but also, is always being super creepy. I mean, when you... The battery Google, life implications are huge. Well, that's why they have these dedicated processors. That's what they do. They run the background all the time, very low power, very optimized. It's hardware. It's just... Right. It's but just, the, 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 reason the, battery life, uh, the reason the battery life impact is not that huge right now is because you don't say, okay, Google, very often during the day. You're not waking up the whole phone very often. So you only have the OK Google listener alive. But if you if the phone is now listening for things that require uh, more in-depth processing very frequently, like constantly identifying your location or every time you're in a there's a new song in the Starbucks, it has to identify it. That starts kicking on the processor over and oh, over it's again. Not. And That's, the be a significant That's the thing. Sasha. It's not going to kick in the processor. It's all going to happen in the coprocessors. Remember when Motorola launched the X, one of the X phones recently? Not, yep. not like the thing, the last X that they did before they did the Z. That had a dedicated coprocessor. Remember, we were like, what kind of processor is this? It had a Qualcomm dual core. And then it had this other coprocessor in it that did all of this 
you know, constant working in the background for all of the motion sensing that the Moto X did. Imagine that put on steroids and, you know, 2017 version. It's basically, you know, you could put a, you could run a Cortex M3 full time on one of those phones all the time and not even hit the battery life more than 1%. So Right, but that is the processor that is determining whether music is being played. No, no, I'm talking about identifying the now, music. Imagine that processor now gains a lot more oomph and horsepower. That's what we're talking about mm-hmm. with the Bionic. That's what we're talking about. The Carrying Nine Sixty. That's what that's what they're talking about when they talk about these machine learning, neural network, AI based chips. There's an entire part of the chip that it doesn't wake up any of the eight cores ever. That's just mm-hmm. running and able to do this stuff in real time all the time. On the device, without a network connection, without waking up the GPS, nothing, right? And remember, waking up the GPS nowadays, our phones pretty much have the GPS awake all the time. And it's been optimized to death. It's amazing. LTE is on all the time. Like, so many of the things we were worried about power consumption. Remember when the first LTE phone came out, the HTC, what was it? Thunderbolt. Thank you. The Thunderbolt. Like, you turn LTN on and you can literally see the battery gauge in front of your very eye just decrease. I believe it had two and a half hours of live LTE usage. Yeah. And look at where we are now. I mean, like, our phones are miracles. And, and, And I think this is what these guys are talking about here. They're talking about, you know, these always on processors that are very, very low power and do very specific tasks. Um, and well, hopefully we'll hear more about that and not about how blue and green their phones are. Yeah, I hope so. But honestly, I don't think those pixels are going to be the poster children for these. I think that iPhone 10 is going to be one of them. And I think that mm-hmm. new Mate 10, and I think that's why the Mate 10, yeah, it's not going to be successful necessarily, or maybe not even sold in North America, at least no more than the Mate 9, which was a great phone, but it was sold in the US, but really didn't make a, an, a footprint of any kind. I, I think none of that's going to change right away. But what the takeaway will be is that Huawei is at the forefront on their processors like Apple are doing this. And we've heard Qualcomm doing that on their next generation, but the 835 currently doesn't really have that. No, no. But uh, I think, yeah, it is going to be very interesting to see what comes with the 845. And of course, we anticipate hearing the 845 details uh, at CES. Yeah. And then there's a rumor of the 836, which is kind of an update on the 835. Okay. We'll see if that happens. Yeah, we'll see if that happens. I, I'm considering that I'm to be sure. a low probability rumor now. I think that was uh, something that was, I, I think that was one of those games of telephone that got played out, so to speak. And so let's, since we're talking about the Mate 10, quickly, there were some rumors uh, in the last couple of days uh, with a leaked photo of what looks like what we very much expect, almost a full front screen, mm-hmm. uh, which would be a first for Huawei. Um, and that would be awesome. And dual cameras in the back that look pretty massive, a continuation of this great Leica stuff that they've definitely been, they pioneered it with. Uh, the Mate 9, sorry, not the Mate 9, the uh, P9, and then the Mate 9 last year, uh, you know, brought the the camera system that we saw in the P10 to light. So I think the, the Mate 10 is going to bring to light what we're going to see on the P11. Um, and the P11 is going to make that more mainstream. No, I mean, uh, in terms the, th- of the unexpected thing that jumped out at me from those uh, supposedly photos was, of course, that uh, stripey design on the back. Well, remember that Huawei made one of the best Nexus phones of all time, the 6P. Right. 
So, you know, they're maybe capitalizing on that design going like, hey, you know, we're seeing that this is a trend that Pixel has it and the new mm-hmm. Pixel has a, an even more defined band. Mm-hmm. So maybe we should kind of steal this design, go with it. Because in the same way as the, you know, uh, the, the 6P design, uh, it, in a way evolved into the Pixel design, you know. And I think that the Pixel 2 renders we're seeing, to me, look like a narrower band, so a bit more like the the like 6P was. I uh, had that narrower band at the top. I mean, you know, phones can only can only really look one way, and I think this is why Samsung has done such a good job with the S8 this year, is that it's immediately noticeable and recognizable that it's a Samsung S8 mm-hmm. or Note 8. And and kudos to them for finding finding their design language. And, you know, Apple, a lot of people are bitching about the notch, and I get it. It's kind of an eyesore, but guess what? It's, it's pattern a recognition in our brains. Absolutely. People are going to immediately know this is what it is. It's an iPhone. And because they need something. Because until now, the iPhone has been that thing with a small screen, big two big top bottom bars, and a big home button at the bottom, right? So, Yeah. So before we get into the next big topic, which I think is going to be a discussion on T-Mobile and Sprint mm-hmm. and, and maybe 600 megahertz on T-Mobile, let's uh, quickly mention that uh, the ZTE, there's rumors of a ZTE folding phone. And all I could remember is the Echo from Kyocera. Do you remember that phone? David Blaine. <laughs> David Blaine, that's right. So what do you think? I mean, folding, to me, it just looks like a... F- a folding form factor like it doesn't have an actual screen that folds right yeah it's two no. screens so to me that's why i say carousel echo for 2017 you know i agree and i'm really i'm really nervous about this because i hope they do it right this time because the echo was a massive disaster people do not want to um you know people People don't want to use a phone with a bezel in the middle of its effective screen. And what Kyocera ran into is that nobody's willing to create an ecosystem for one device by a non-top five vendor. Of course. And uh, maybe ZTE is, I mean, depending on which list you look at, ZTE is a top five vendor in some places. But I don't think that they're going to be able to drive their own ecosystem here so I'm really concerned about them doing this radical form factor in a way that's going to require exclusive software to make it work well. Yeah, well, let's see what happens. I'm excited. I like the idea, especially if it's bezel-less, two bezel-less screens next to each other. It could be fun. You know, ZT's done some cool stuff. I don't expect this to be a big seller, but I'm intrigued. And I like being intrigued. I need some excitement in life. You know, phones are just all the same and they're kind of boring. And ZTE, ZTE, so I, I have been following ZTE and Huawei both for, wow, seven years now. And I remember when I first went to visit them in like 2011 and getting the difference in the feel between the two companies. And it's played out even to this day because Huawei was this very big, very orderly, very thoughtful, very stepwise company where they were like, we have the whole next 18 months planned out in 18 different units, one a month, and here's our stair steps, and here's the the individual innovation we are adding to each product, and you know, take a nice walk around our meditation pool. And ZTE <laughs> was... Uh, and still is this much kind of scrappier company willing to throw a Hail Mary. And they're willing to do 
some wacky things just to see if they stick to the wall and and years well there there are two samsung what lg oh there are two you get it yeah exactly they're the lg to huawei zt is to huawei what lg is to samsung right right and they tried it with the uh, the crowdsourced phone that so far has not happened you remember that whole process yeah. oh yeah i do remember that the zte hawkeye i think it was uh oh so, god what a disaster that was yeah so that was a mess um but this is going to be another one of their great or, or do you remember their smart projector they had these android powered projectors yeah. for a couple of years uh-huh. yeah uh-huh. it's it's all you know i i love them because they have these big ideas and they're willing to go in on a big idea that nobody else has so yeah sure bring the dual screen phone yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm happy to see new form factors. This is basically what I'm saying at this point. I'm, you know, yeah, bring them on, go nuts, and mm-hmm. and I think you know they're not. It's not going to be successful. Whatever, I don't care. It's it's got to start somewhere. And and you know, we know that the first real folding phone is going to be a Samsung phone. We know that, like fold, yeah. folding screen, you know, like or plastic OLED that can be repeatedly bent without any major damage. I think that's going to be pretty cool, of course. And remember a few years back, I think when the 808 Nokia was launched uh, last year, that Mobile Congress was at the old FIRA in Barcelona, when we uh, they, they showed this Nokia prototype that was um, bendable in every way. Like mm-hmm. the whole thing was like this blob and you could like twist it and bend it. And it had sensors that detected that you twisted and bent it. Do you remember that? Yeah, Kyocera had that as a concept for like three years. You know, we haven't seen that yet, but we know that's yeah. kind of where we're going. And, and you know, I've been saying for a while now that, you know, the future phone will be basically all covered in sensors. Like every mm-hmm. external surface will be a sensor, whether it's touch or you know, light or, and light obviously would mean photography potentially, um, or, you know, ex- able to emit sound, receive sound, a display, uh, you know, light. So like this, a display would be uh, emit light, like a display. Like That's you it. could potentially have like the Holy Grail would be every tiny little pixels all over the phone, entire surface of the phone, which each of them is a microphone, a speaker, a light emitter, mm-hmm. a light receiver, uh, a radio antenna, for in and out data and uh, a, a solar cell and a touch sensor and a piezo pressure sensor all in one. But so coming back to 2017, I think the I, I think <laughs> I think the the point of this ZTE phone is really that ZTE makes most of their money in the U.S. on, as we said, those attractive, relatively low end phablets. And this is just to say that we are not a company that just makes cheap phablets. We do innovate. We have big ideas. Now you can buy one of our phablets with the knowledge that at least comes from a company that has big ideas. Yeah, kind of like LG. Look, we're a company that innovates and does great new things. Look at this modular phone, the G5. That sucks. I That said, I love, <laughs> my wife has a G6. We love the wide angle. Oh, the G6 ang- is amazing. Yeah, we love the wide angle camera. The wide angle camera, especially in like family or party photo situations, is the best thing ever. It's funny because so many people, I'm on your camp, I feel that the, the wide angle is the, is the more important of the two cameras if you're going to have two cameras. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so many people don't agree with that. And speaking of which, I just want to, as an aside, say that a lot of I was on uh, All About Android last week, um, you know, on the Twit Network, the video podcast, the live video podcast with Jason, uh, Flo, and Ron. And I mentioned that a package was coming from Google. It, obviously, I can tell you what it is now. It is the Moto X4 
uh, Android One. And, oh yeah, and I can't tell you more than that. I can just tell you that I have it. And so expect me to talk about that soon. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because it has a dual camera system where one of the cameras is a wide angle uh, versus, you know, like the Moto Z2 Force, which has a monochrome and color. So it's the first non-LG phone I've ever played with that has uh, a wide angle and a regular angle, which is interesting. Yeah, and it's and it's uh, I think it's three ninety nine on Google Fi, right? So that is correct. That is, I mean, a really sweet mid range for Google Fi. As I said, I can't talk too much about it, but stay tuned when the embargo lifts. I'll tell you more, but I can tell you I have it, and I'm it's it's good times. Okay. So um, let's let's talk about T-Mobile and Sprint because we have to wrap it up in about ten minutes, and I want to kind of get your feel for this because you are one of the few mobile tech journalists out there that really has a good understanding of us uh care the the us carrier um you know world and and you know i do too but i think you're more you guys do extensive testings on the road every year network performance and all that good stuff so i'm very you know i'm a long time t-mobile customer a long time believer and you know very happy obviously in the last five years is john ledger on uh, at the helm um i'm very very upset at the potential of this merger with Sprint. And and I want to I want to know your take and I also want us to talk briefly about the 600 megahertz band because the V30 by the way is going on sale on the 5th of October. Mm-hmm. If you want to pick up a V30, you finally can. Is the first phone in the US that supports 600 megahertz for T-Mobile. So, what's your take on the Sprint T-Mobile thing and in general on T-Mobile's expansion because they've grown their LTE network like Holy crap balls in the last two years. So T-Mobile has done brilliantly over the past two years. We actually have an animation on our website showing uh, I saw, yeah, yeah. showing their growth, both in terms of their official coverage map, but also in terms of our annual drive testing. So our real, actual live testing of it. And um, anyone who thinks that T-Mobile is just a city carrier, that's a mindset from 2014. They are much better than they used to be in that way. And a lot of that is down to uh, Neville Ray, their CTO, is a amazing ninja when it comes to building networks. And he kind of always has been. He, um, he's, he's, he is just terrific at that with the resources that he has. And T-Mobile has been getting resources recently. Now, what's happening with Sprint is that uh, Masa Son, the chairman of SoftBank, who owns Sprint, is dissatisfied with his purchase and he's dissatisfied with his performance. And I believe he would like to unload it. And I guess he never traveled to the US before he bought that. No, I guess? he just thought he could turn it around. Like he thought he Jesus. thought it was undervalued I mean, and he could turn it around. How long has Sprint been a mess? Uh, Spr- 10 years Sprint now? Sprint has been a mess since it got uh, sucked into the Nextel merger vortex in like 2005. That's pretty much. And then accurate. after that, they made a really expensive bet on the wrong 4G technology. WiMAX, yes. oh god! And um, so they were just recovering from the Nextel thing, and they make this really expensive bet on WiMAX, which was a total failure and the wrong way to go, which put them two years behind on LTE, and it's just been you know one one hit after another. And Marcelo Clar has done decent job kind of stabilizing the ship but he stabilized the ship and there was so much drama that they're significantly behind the other competitors including 
T-Mobile, who was not doing well five years ago, but you know, John Ledger put a put a powerboat motor on that rowboat. Yeah, and you know, wow, is all I have to say as a T-Mobile customer. Yeah. I mean, you know. There's many reasons I stuck with T-Mobile for as long as I did. Primarily because they were the only carrier that let me bring my own device without making a fuss back in the day. And I used to buy unlocked phones all the time. And even though they didn't have for a long time 3G and mm-hmm. then for a long time 4G <laughs> and or LTE, etc., it was just delightful to get treated like a normal human when I brought my own phones in and it was delightful to get a slightly cheaper price and it was delightful to have a fast network when it was working when i had coverage now i can say i have coverage on top of that and of course on top of that i don't have a contract and on top of that i you know i don't know there's so many good but things so, the international roaming is my favorite feature honestly so of being a the deal with this merger a, the deal with this merger is that masasone to some extent wants to unload sprint and right. t-mobile would not mind having 40 million more customers so that they can instantaneously be competing with uh verizon and at&t at scale and sprint's giant cache of 2.6 gigahertz spectrum which is really really good for 5g yeah for sure but at the same time it's like it's such a nightmare to merge these two in terms of customer service yes. and in terms of, of working heads, handsets. Like, like, can you imagine if you're a Sprint customer and all of a sudden, you know, like having to support legacy stuff like Metro PCS, I, I think was manageable and they did a decent job by switching them over from CDMA to LTE and GSM, right? But, but Sprint, oof. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Sprint is the carrier that still requires you to call in to change service between phones, even though they have SIM cards. Basically, by the way, why is that? Why is that? I don't get it. I can take a SIM from a Verizon phone, put on another Verizon phone and the CDMA just works. um, Some of Sprint's systems are really old. Sprint has not upgraded some of those systems and a lot of Sprint's problem. And this is where T-Mobile would get stuck. It isn't about merging the networks or the handsets. Technically, it's about merging things like billing systems, Uh, the billing systems, the subscriber identification systems, um, the uh, cores that transmit messages. Uh, that sort of stuff is where carriers really get stuck in the weeds. Customer service gets dragged down, mistakes get made, things get confusing, and you end up with uh, two years worth of, uh, of of lost time and lost energy as they try to figure out how to merge this stuff. Never mind. I hope they don't. The massive. <laughs> The massive job losses that would happen with the uh, supposedly redundant staff and with the uh, redundant third-party retail outlets. It wouldn't just be T-Mobile and Sprint employees who are getting laid off. It's all of these um, third-party store owners where T-Mobile and Sprint will decide or a merged T-Mobile and Sprint would decide, oh, you know what? There's a T-Mobile independent store and a Sprint independent store on the same block. Uh, You guys were just dropping you. So massive job losses, getting lost in the weeds, merging these billing services. And then we end up with only three major nationwide competitors. And if you want to see that's the biggest problem, if you want to see what happens there, go look at Canada. 
Yeah, exactly. Look, you're right. That's my biggest fear. Honestly, the the stores being on the same block doesn't matter. They still have Metro PCS and T-Mobile stores on the same block in San Francisco all over the place, and they coexist just fine. So I don't think that's a problem. Um, but you're right. I think there's going to be there'd be layoffs, all that. I think the biggest issue to me is is um, some some of the technical challenges and some of the uh, you know the the it's the reducing the competitive landscape of carriers in the U.S. We we need more carriers, not less. Yes, yes. And uh, if you look at you know there there are other companies that could potentially buy Sprint. They just don't feel like doing it. And nobody is really stepping up and saying we're going to build another nationwide cell phone network. Other other companies that uh, other companies that seem to be trying to enter the market, like say Comcast Xfinity, are generally doing it in an MVNO model, or Google Fi are doing it in an MVNO model. And the way MVNOs work is uh, the four carriers who manage the national networks are not about to sign an MVNO contract that would threaten their core businesses. They're not about to create real competitors that way. True. Besides, if you want a Sprint and T-Mobile merger right now, just get Project Fi. Yeah, I mean, if you want the combined <laughs> That's service. That's the best of both worlds. Totally. Exactly. You get Sprint, right? T-Mobile, and you get US Cellular out in the sticks. And you get World International Roaming out in the other sticks. Exactly, exactly. So you yeah. can get that experience if you want it uh, without having, uh, I mean, for people who are listening who are not familiar with the the, the beauty and the grandeur that is our northern neighbor. Um, the situation in Canada is that you have three major carriers and uh, they have generally very good networks, but the prices are very high and they never have price wars. Yeah. And it's kind of killing everything because, you know, and there's been a few kind of like independent scrappy players coming in like wind and uh what was the other one videotron and stuff but they just haven't made a dent or they've been absorbed well they're they're yeah they generally operate on a smaller scale because it turns out it is extremely difficult to build a giant continent-wide oh it's uh, insane network. i mean the cost is like billions of upon yeah. billions of dollars i mean yeah yeah no th- that's the reality of it but we want competition so you know vote against this you know if you're a Sprint customer, you know what to do. You need to switch over to T-Mobile today. I mean, that's clearly obvious, right? Like, if you are still a Sprint customer right now, guys, seriously, what is wrong with you? I don't know how you live and survive in this cellular world. Um, I'm, of course, joking slightly because I'm sure that in some parts of the world, Sprint has better service than T-Mobile. And I'm sure it's possible. Uh, they do, in fact, in a lot of the Midwest. There you go. So, anyway... um. You're against this merger. I'm against this merger. I hope that they come to their senses. And I hope that John Ledger is not too greedy because he's a great guy. I know him personally. Um, I mean, not very well, but I've met him and we've talked. And um, and he wished me happy birthday at CS. You were there. You mm-hmm. remember. Um, so, you know, I count that as kind of pretty tight, you know. Uh, just kidding. No, John- but anyway, the point... John Ledger is a great guy. He's a great guy, but ultimately he's a businessman and a CEO. And his Exactly. Whole, he has shareholders. He's not running on carrier because he thinks he actually is Batman. He's running on carrier because it's a successful business strategy. And if there was not if there was less competition, if there was no need to run on carrier, then uncarrier might go away. Yeah, exactly. And and so, you know, um, 
let's see what happens. But uh, also the FCC is in there. Of course, the current FCC is probably going to be saying yes to any merger mm-hmm. of any kind because they're bitches. Uh, yes, I mean that. Uh, seriously, like what is wrong with you, FCC, right now? Are you out of your freaking mind? Uh, <laughs> That's, that could be a random I mean, no, well, How do you feel about the FCC right now? I mean, seriously. The, it, the FCC, it's a, it's a Republican FCC. This is what happens if you, you know, if the country votes for a Republican government, they get an FCC, which does, which is focused on allowing lots of mergers and not regulating. And that is that particular ideology. Basically, this is elections have consequences. This is the consequence of this election. Yeah, I can think of even more dire consequences, but yeah, it, that's one of them. Uh, and so we'll see how it goes. Um, but let's talk quickly. We have what? Like, can we spend just one minute because we need to wrap it up? But I'm really curious about 600 megahertz. What's your take on that? Obviously, a single phone. Probably by next year, we'll have most uh, Android phones from T-Mobile that they sell on that network uh, capable. F- of of these bands, um, you know, compatible with these bands, it doesn't look that the iPhone's going to get that compatibility potentially until the next generation iPhone. So, what's your take? Do people need to worry about this? What should they should they buy a V thirty because of six hundred megahertz? Uh, they should only buy a V thirty if they are in a rural area, which T Mobile is promising to cover soon. Um, the this is this is going to be primarily for filling in the final gaps in T-Mobile's coverage in areas where they don't have 700 megahertz licenses. And Got it. Um, over the next year, we're going to see those gaps fill in, but it isn't going to hugely affect the coverage for people who are in areas that already have what T-Mobile calls extended range LTE or 700 megahertz. In those areas, it'll just be a capacity supplement. It'll prevent the network from slowing down. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I... So it's not critical yet. You could wait till next year to have a phone with 600 megahertz. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And T-Mobile is going to make a big deal when they enter new uh, metro areas and new rural areas with 600 megahertz. So if you're in one of these areas, you're going to hear when T-Mobile is coming to town. You will, because John will come in person on his little... I'm sitting on the back of a convertible with a float and a bunch of... Magenta flags will be awesome. Exactly. Go, John. Go, John. Uh, yeah, right. Sasha, you've been awesome. Thanks for being on. Tell us about yourself. Where can people find you on Twitter, on whatever your favorite media is? Of course, on PC Mac. Yeah. Tell us. So uh, I am, of course, the the head of the mobile folks at PC Mag. So you can find a lot of my stuff at PCMag.com pretty much daily. Uh, but I am also a heavy Twitter user. And my Twitter is at Sasha Segan, which is my name, um, S-A-S-C-H-A-S-E-G-A-N. That's probably uh, the best way other than PCMag.com to interact with me. Um, Of course, you'll also find me on uh, PCMag's Facebook shows. I'm the host of One Cool Thing, which is uh, every weekday Eastern, 10 a.m. on PCMag's Facebook page. And also have dialed in our mobile phone show at 3 p.m. Eastern on on Tuesdays at PC Mag's Facebook page. There you go, guys. So yeah, read, read Sasha. Sasha and I have known each other for a long time. We've been in the business of reporting about mobile tech for a really long time. We're like old, cranky, jaded, but I think we thankfully remember the past and we can teach, hopefully teach you some lessons about what we learned in the past so that you know what the right choices are to make. 
Uh, you know where to find me. I'm at Tankerl on Twitter. That's Tankerl without the vowels, like the comic book character, TNKGRL. Um, mobiletechpodcast.com is URL for this podcast. Please share it with your friends. This is where they can find the RSS feed to subscribe to this podcast. We can be found as Mobile Tech Podcast, three words, on um, on uh, iTunes and on Pocket Cast and other, um, your other favorite you know, podcast network apps, etc. And uh, you check out my YouTube channel. I do a lot of unboxings of the devices I get. I do live video unboxings just for fun, really. Um, YouTube.com slash Miriam Joire, my full name. Uh, and that's how you can find me. Uh, stay tuned for next week. It is going to be a great podcast because we'll have a lot of pixel talk. The pixel will be behind us. We will know what to expect. We will know what is going on and we will tell you everything we know. We being me and my guests, which I will not share with you yet. All right, guys and gals and people and folks, uh, stay tuned for next week. And that's it. That's a wrap. Thanks again, Sasha. Thank you. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.